0: Daniel Christen, the Deputy Chief of Staff for TRADOC. Sir, it's a pleasure to have you with us for today's leadership professional development discussion, Understanding Sexual Violence Culture.
1: Captain Robinson, thanks for the introduction, and thanks everyone for who's out there who's tuned in for this LDP. I'd like to first introduce our co-host for today's discussion, Ms. Simone Hall, TRADOC's SHARP Program Manager and the Commands Rep on the People First Task Force sexual assault sexual harassment redesign working group Ms. Hall joins us virtually and we'll add today's discussion providing feedback on our sexual harassment and sexual assault program initiatives. Ms. Hall.
2: Yes good morning. Thank you, sir. And uh thank you so much for joining us today. Uh, on this very important topic, understanding sexual violence culture. Dr. Stern, welcome. I am so glad you could join us as well. And I look forward to your sharing of your extensive knowledge and experience on today's topic. According to TRADOC Enterprise, installations are conducting various events in recognition of Sexual Assault Awareness and Prevention Month This year's theme, Prevention Starts With You, serves as a reminder and emphasizes the critical role we all have in preventing sexual assault and sexual harassment. However, key to our success is ensuring every leader, soldier, civilian, our team understands how sexual violence culture degrades our ability to prevent sexual assault and sexual harassment. I'd also like to take this opportunity to remind all participants that you can obtain confidential assistance by contacting the DOD 247 Help Safe Line at 877 995 5247 or via email at 222.safehelpline.org. If you're assigned to or in the Joint Base Langley, Houston area and need assistance, you can call the 7 JLE Sharp Hotline at 757 268 8967. Thank you, and I look forward to today's discussion. Okay.
0: Thank you, ma'am. Throughout this conversation, we will have those same resources posted in the chat for those who may need it. People are our greatest strength and our greatest asset. Sexual harassment and sexual assault are unacceptable and intolerable behaviors that erode unit cohesion, hurts our soldiers, civilians, and families. It also hinders our mission to protect America. Today we've invited an expert on this topic. I'd like to welcome to the studio today's guest, Dr. Gail Stern. Dr. Gail Stern is the co-founder of Catharsis Productions and the co-author of the non-stranger rape prevention program, Sex Signals, and the co-creator of the Force of Austin Institute. She is a nationally sought-after speaker on issues related to rape culture, violence prevention education, and building educator capacity and effectiveness. Dr. Stern has served as a subject matter expert for each branch of the U.S. military, the DOD Assault Prevention and Response Office, and the White House. Welcome, ma'am. It's a pleasure to have you here today.
3: Thank you so much for having me. It's an honor.
0: Just a reminder before we get started, we want you to be a part of this discussion. So leave your comments and questions in the live feed, and we'll try to get them answered by our host, guests, or co-hosts during the program. To start off today, I want to ask Dr. Stern a question. Um, ma'am, can you tell us a little bit about yourself, Catharsis Productions, and how you became involved in advocating for victims of sexual assault and education?
3: Sure. Um, right after I graduated from college, I took a role at the University of Illinois at Chicago. They were starting a victim advocacy program for victims of hate and bias crime. and. At the time, I never had any survivors of rape or bias crime to deal with. The people that came to our door were victims of sexual violence, stalking, and rape. And so at 22, I learned through, I learned how to be an advocate both in court and through the university system. It was very much a self-taught, drop you in the deep end of the pool sort of thing, and I was a one-person program for seven years on 24-hour call. And I learned so much, not only about the individual impact on survivors, but as I'm sure you know, all of a sudden when you're immersed in a field and you're immersed in a situation, you start to see patterns. Because I started to see, oh, well, that's the same story. This person has the same identical story of their abuse or their sexual assault as the one that came before them. And that's when you start seeing that there are patterns which speak to systems, not just a bunch of really unlucky individuals. Um, and that, that learning on the job changed my life. Um, around that same time, my boss asked me to be a law enforcement trainer. So I went on to train about 800 Chicago police sergeants on cultural sensitivity. And that got me into law enforcement training and teaching in general, which has been my heart for the last 30 years. Um, And then about 22, 23 years ago, I met my friend Christian Murphy, and he and I decided that we were gonna collaborate on building something new. We saw the state of sexual violence prevention programs on college campuses, and this is mid-90s, and let's face it, they were dry, they were embarrassing, they were sort of those very special episodes where we all have to be deadly earnest, and the students (coughs) hated it. And we thought, what if we could build something unique where our our program could capture the conversations that students actually have, and the confusion that they actually have about, well, why is this really a problem, and what is consent? But we could do it in a way that would decrease the shame that they felt in answering these questions. So we co-wrote a program called Sex Signals, which has been presented, I think, now a couple million times around the world uh, to obviously college audiences, but also we were part of basic training, the Army basic training for nine years, of which we are very proud. And it continues to be part of Great Lakes Naval training installations, training for their incoming, excuse me, incoming sailors. And it's a 22 year old company, and we've expanded since then uh, to design all other kinds of programs. You mentioned the Force of Awesome Institute that's one of my special favorites um what we do there is we train advocates how to be educators because so many people who are tapped to be advocates don't have teaching experience or the understanding of what makes a good lesson plan or maybe they're given a lesson plan but they don't know how to make it come alive and so we've been doing gosh, I don't even know how many since 2012, so many institutes both in the civilian and military sectors on how to really make that message sing and reach people and build their capacity. Because as much as I love going around talking to people, if I can't build capacity in communities, I'm not doing my job and I'm, I'm certainly not advancing the cause any. And so that's, I guess, in a sort of a nutshell, the last 30 years of my life and I, I love it. I love doing
0: it. Outstanding, man. Thank you for sharing that with us, uh, part of your story, and also thank you for also incorporating dynamic type of training into a serious subject. Uh, sir, I, I do want to kick off this discussion by asking you a question. Okay. Sir, I, I want to know, and, and we want to kind of you know, let the audience know, what do you think is leadership's role in the prevention of sexual assault and sexual harassment, sir?
1: Yeah, I think that's a great question to start the series. Um, I would tell you, I think it starts with really leaders being involved and working by with and through their NCOs. You know, I see this as a, almost a personal conversation at the soldier level, if you will, and uh, I think that's a place to start. LOOK, I THINK IT'S LEADERS' RESPONSIBILITIES TO UNDERSTAND THEIR UNITS AND THE PEOPLE WITHIN THEIR UNITS, THEY ALL COME FROM DIFFERENT BACKGROUNDS, SOCIOECONOMIC EXPERIENCES, Uh, SO IT STARTS WITH REALLY GETTING TO KNOW YOUR SOLDIERS, NUMBER ONE. I THINK THAT'S REALLY THE FIRST PLACE TO START. I'D ALSO ADD, YOU KNOW, AS MUCH AS WE DO TRAINING AND THERE'S A LOT OF DIFFERENT VENUES FOR IT, I'M NOT SURE THAT uh, THE WAY WE'RE DOING IT NOW COULDN'T BE ENHANCED IN SOME WAY, SO WHAT DO I MEAN BY THAT, RIGHT? So there are opportunities that exist where we can sit knee-to-knee, toe-to-toe with a squad or a smaller-sized unit. It doesn't have to be in the classroom, right? The leaders are out front and present talking about what prevention really is. And so as an example, you know, if an off-the-cuff remark is made, there and then is the time for the leader to step in and say, hey, you know what, that's not appropriate in our environment. And that will be the seedling, if you will, to grow this prevention program. So I think those are a couple ideas.
0: Thank you, sir. And, and I know you spoke about you know, our NCOs and training, and that's how you know, we get at things in, in, in the military and in the Army and you know, different organizations. So I would like to you know, kind of reach out to uh, Ms. Hall and also Dr. Stern and kind of you know, seek out input on how do we prevent this from becoming check-the-block type training where we do this training when something happens or as an annual requirement and it's genuine and it, and it touches soldiers.
3: Uncle I'll
2: go, I'll go first. Um, so I think I think General Christian hit hit the nail on the head. This is opportunity training. So when you have your squads or your units, and there's there, I won't use the term downtime, but there's a ability or the time to do training, then that's when we do it. We talk about this continuously because our perpetrators are perpetrating continuously. So it's not it's not we don't make a knee. Um, And it's more than annual training, it's daily training. It's incorporated in all of our discussions, all of our counselors, not so much sexual assault and sexual prevention um, or sexual harassment, but risk mitigation and how to take care of yourselves and your battle bunnies by always being aware of your surroundings and taking the opportunity to have the difficult discussion um, with with your soldiers, with your civilians, with your family members about the importance of um, preventing sexual harassment and sexual assault. Dr. Stern.
3: Thanks. Um, I think one of the ways to minimize the check the block idea, which I think is not just a military challenge, it's civilian, believe me, universities love to have their one big sexual assault prevention program during freshman orientation, or let's just, they're overwhelmed. So let's just say it is imperfect everywhere. I think our challenge is looking at alignment of messaging Um, what kinds of programming are and i'll speak generally are we doing from the very beginning someone enters the army throughout their career and are the messages consistent and are all levels of leadership caught up on those new messages because as you know things change very quickly and so How do I, as an educator, ensure that a leader has all of the tools at their command to be that kind of educator in that moment that you're discussing? Because I can't assume that just because you're smart and you're learned and you've had tremendous experience that you might know in that one moment the perfect thing to say, or let's just say there's no perfect thing to say, but a better thing to say that's really a catalyst. When you and I were talking earlier, um, we were talking about the challenge of, between saying, don't do that, that's bad, and what comes next, which is, do you have any idea why that's bad? Do you have any idea why that's harmful? I find that great education always incorporates the why. What are the consequences of that? Because, and that's so important because so many of the behaviors that you're going to be intervening about are behaviors that we've just become numb to. It's like that phrase the fish doesn't notice the water we're swimming in it we are not actively aware of all of the potentially small things that can lead to the building of a a toxic environment and you were we were talking also about the role of ncos i think it is critical one of the things i've in again i I don't want to be the good idea fairy i know that that is not a good thing to be but As an outsider, one of the things that I've observed is how we could do so much more with senior NCOs and leadership, and that the best commands have a very positive senior NCO and officer connection. We also know the converse is true, that when there's that weak connection, obviously that command doesn't have a healthy environment. So what do we do to empower those senior NCOs to be able to really model everything that senior leadership wants and to be consistent. And then I've often been wondering what you could do with the, at the E4 level. Because the E4 level is kind of in a weird spot, right? They're, I don't know if we, the analogy would be they're seniors in high school, but they do have a lot of status. They do command a lot of respect amongst uh, the younger folks. How do we leverage that influence in alignment with what the senior NCOs are doing? How do we build up that core? Because I believe that alignment of messaging, that consistency across all ranks, at all, age, at all stages of educational development, I think that could have real power. And, and then you don't have any idea that it, it, the institution won't look hypocritical or inconsistent if everyone is on message and consistent.
0: Awesome. And, and ma'am, I know you kind of tapped into the, the E-4 population. Some we, we call them the E-4 mafia in I some circles. I heard, yes. Um, and, and they are a great population of the army and they are a great makeup and they get a lot of things done. So I want to know how do we maintain that genuine approach to training? You know, while, while we are talking about training, how we maintain kind of, you know, baselining those values as we all talk about but making them actually understand and messaging it and how sexual assault and harassment hurts um, our soldiers?
3: I think it's such a huge, big question. And so, again, I'm going to anchor myself here specifically as an outsider to make sure that I don't want to, to speak on things I don't understand about how the Army works. But what I will say is that if the current E-4s, haven't had the new kind of healthy relationships training that I know that you're you're starting now, they're at a deficit. And so when we start looking at how everyone should be trained, everyone kind of needs to get all the new stuff in order to start this part of the process. So if I were to do healthy relationships with E4s, we would wanna talk about what have you seen thus far in your years in, what have you, and we'd also wanna talk about the elements of gender bias that are mixed into any conversation about healthy relationships—you can't talk about healthy relationships unless you talk about bias and the way that we've grown up in our culture, thinking, "Well, women do this and men do this." I mean, that's a big binary, obviously. And then we carry those ideas about roles not only into relationships, we carry them into how we look at our our work in the army, and so. We need to start having those conversations, and not in a shame-based way, not in a you screwed up, you're bad. It's one of the things that I like to think about when I used used to do stand-up, and what I admired about comedians is that they didn't shame audiences, they said, why do we do that? And the audience would laugh and they'd be like, yeah, we do do that, that is weird, like why do we do that? I wanna provoke that same kind of self-awareness that's not like, you're awful because you never thought about this before, but, whoa, I never thought about it that way. And so we say, okay, now that we see that, we see that that dissonance is undermining our ability to have an effective unit. That that dissonance, not only does it undermine unit cohesion, but it puts us in danger. There are real stakes to this. It's not just like, don't say that thing, we're not allowed to say that thing. It's when you say that thing, you undermine our belief that this person can do their job you undermine everyone else's belief that they can do their job, and also you put them at risk because now others around them perceive that they're less valuable and potentially they're an easy target for harassment or worse. And so we gotta teach the why, and gotta let it get complicated because it's not just a simple don't do that. You have to give people at every level the chance to reflect on what they took for granted, not beat them up for it, but then move them forward.
0: Thank you for that. And uh, I want to reach out to Ms. Hall um, and kind of, I want you to speak about or let us know kind of what TRADOC is doing about this and how TRADOC, some things TRADOC may be changing or emphasizing to, you know, have that genuine and realistic approach to training.
2: So Dr. Stern actually uh, mentioned a couple. The first is the healthy relationships training. Um and, and we're initiating that at the MEP station. Um those young recruits that are coming in from different, as was stated, socio back socioeconomic backgrounds and different upbringings who may, who may or may not know what a healthy relationship is. So we're gonna give them that in the MIP state at the MEP station. But also um, at the SHOP Academy, they're developing um, SHOP specific sexual harassment, sexual assault prevention training from accessions, as was stated, to retirement. So, in every level of PME, currently what's provided is a uh, response focus we provide definitions and we provide reporting options in our training and we're moving away from that and we're providing competencies what are the prevention competencies and E4 needs when they see or they hear things that are in- inappropriate and what does that sergeant need and what does that colonel need up the chain but so from exceptions to the final PMA the war college or the general staff um, college we're going to provide sexual harassment and sexual prevention specific training to that specific grade to that specific demographic and we also recognize because we currently have four different generations serving in our forces that we have to adapt our training to those four generations dr stern mentioned it we have to talk some of their language we have to change um, sometimes we have to be direct not inappropriate but we have to be direct because that's what some of our um our soldiers understand so we're doing we're doing a lot in this space and 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 we're taking a we're taking a, a, a lot of training and we're revamping it and i i see goodness in this because this we we, we haven't taken this approach um and i've been working in, in the shop program um for 10 plus years now and and I see see this as an opportunity for us to take our training um, in the direction that it needs to go and that starts at accessions.
3: Do you mind if I piggyback on that?
2: Oh, sure. Yes, ma'am.
3: So that's awesome and I think the directness of language approach I think a, a friend of mine who's in this field who's wonderful, Dr. Chris Kilmartin, has said, you can't resist a pressure you cannot name. And so sometimes the, the challenging part of it is we have to use language, we have to be explicit about what we're talking about, or our, our, our soldiers, our sailors, our airmen, they won't see us as authentic. They won't see us as being real. and so. There's that fine line with not wanting to make fun of and glorify language and behaviors that we don't like, but also to say, I know this is what's being said. Like, this is what's happening, so I need to be able to challenge that effectively and directly. Also, the healthy relationships component, and I'm so glad that you are doing that, is so critical. In my years of experience, when we are often Like, our program, Sex Signals, is for 18-year-olds, mostly, depending whether they're college or military, and we find that this is often the first chance they've ever had to talk about sex or relationships. This is an abject failure, frankly. I have felt for decades, we have come into the middle of a conversation, and I always wish we could just stop what we're talking about and talk about, do we know what the good looks like? Because the challenge is if your very first program on sex or healthy relationship is is a rape program, we have missed that important part of the conversation. So bystander intervention, huge. It was huge in the military way before everybody else um, actually caught on to why it was so important. But bystander intervention has four conditions in order for it to work. The first is to notice which seems really silly, right? You're like, well, of course I would notice. Not if you've built up a tolerance for it. Not if the relationships that you saw your parents have or your greater family had, and maybe those weren't healthy. I don't have stats on like how many healthy relationships exist in the world, but I bet it's not like 90%. And we come as young people in with our own experiences, and maybe we've had a great parent, but often we haven't. So we come in, and we have gotten used to bad behavior. So we don't even notice it. Maybe we do notice it, but the second state is we don't identify it as a problem. We're like, yeah, he uses those words. Yeah, he's really aggressive, you know, but I grew up with that. I don't think that's problematic, or I don't translate it that way. Um, Like if if you grew up with all brothers, or you were in sports, and someone kept hitting you as as a sign of like attaboy, you got used to being touched without consent, and you were like, there probably wasn't a moment going, you know what, I regret not being touched without my consent. You just went, I guess that's how this is. And we build up tolerances. Um, Years ago, um, after a program, I had a young naval officer approach me, and he said that um, when he was in high school, he used to get blackout drunk at parties, and on more than two occasions, he woke up to see a woman. Um, I will I will say sexually assaulting him orally, and he was horrified. And he said, "I knew I couldn't tell my friends because they'd give me an Attaboy, um, and I didn't. So I didn't tell anyone, and I felt awful about it." And he said, "And it has you have made me wonder if." Having to tolerate that and say that wasn't a problem and say that wasn't a big deal has made me less sensitive when I hear about victims of sexual violence. He was going to go home that night and tell his wife, whom he had not told. So if we don't think it's a problem based on our own personal experience or just becoming numb to it, then we never hit stage three, which is my responsibility to do something. Because maybe I say, oh, that's bad, or I finally go, oh, yeah, that's bad, but I go, that's not me. It's their problem. They got themselves into this, they were vulnerable, they were stupid, not my problem. And so then we never get to that last stage which is doing something. So a healthy relationships class has to unpack all the stuff that we have internalized and eaten without even thinking, realizing that we've been consuming it. I made that analogy before where like, if, if you or your kid has a food allergy, Um, Anyone in your family has a food allergy. You're like the nightmare restaurant guest because you're always like, so how was that cooked? Oh, I'm looking at the beef. Was the beef fried in the same fryer? You know, you are that anal retentive person because you know if that ingredient is in there, you're harmed. Um, I would say that right now we ingest a lot of harmful ingredients, but we don't want to read the label on the box because we don't want to stop consuming it. And the challenge will be getting people to really think about that, not with shame. But if we're ever gonna get to everyone correctly identifying that something is problematic and feeling responsibility for doing something, we're gonna have to have that kind of deep conversation.
1: So I just wanna, I am going to pull on that a little bit. So Simone talked about the various programs that we have really at all ranks of the organization, right? And I don't think this is just an Army problem, but this is the way we're mm-hmm. looking at it, right? And then you talked about a couple of different things. I mean, the thing that's resonating to me is leaders in and of themselves aren't going to drive a prevention program, if you will. And drive might not necessarily be the right word, right? It strikes me, this is becoming, if it isn't already, very much a team sport. So what do I mean by that, right? So I talked a little bit about earlier, and you had highlighted Pause. You know, good relationships, and if someone makes an offhanded comment, it's not stopping the comment in so much as why you're stopping the comment, right? Um, I wonder if you agree or disagree with that, that thought process in terms of it being a team sport so that we all come to the table as we think about prevention. You know, Christian can't be everywhere, right? My boss can't be everywhere, but I have to be successful. The, the organization has to be successful by all the soldiers in the organization believing the same thing genuinely, genuinely is important, and then driving that change. i just interested to have any thoughts there.
3: It's absolutely a team effort. Uh, and I think any good team is in alignment and understands what the mission is and how even if they're special teams, they've got a job to do, but it's in alignment with that mission. You can't have someone go rogue. That's the opposite of team. But I will say that all of the research I have read stresses the power of the leader over any other individual and this doesn't mean that you need to be everywhere all the time and this is a task that is so i the enormity of your task is not lost on me but in you're always teaching because you're modeling what good behavior is you're showing what you should respond to and how you should respond to it and they learn by watching how you move within the world that is a 24-7 thing and that is unique to a senior leader or for a senior NCO. And, and we know that that power, the quality of your team, the quality of any team, is based on the quality of that leader. I, I think they're inextricable, so I will say yes and there's just no way. But yes, if you don't have a full team that is in alignment on messaging, It can't just be one person. And it also can't just be on the Sharp Educators. Um, And it also can't be, like, we were joking about this earlier, Sexual Assault Awareness Month. Awareness is the most passive word I could ever think of. How about Sexual Assault Action Month? You know, like, it just, we all have to get in there and attack it as a problem as opposed to saying, we were aware, we had teal pancakes, we wore pins, we have really, really communicated to the universe that this matters to us. So, yes, great team and an even better leader. Great, thanks,
0: Doctor. Ma'am, thanks. And to note what, what you said on awareness versus action, uh, we do have a question from Facebook that we want to take. And uh, the question is, how do we transition from teaching soldiers to avoid sexual assault and harassment rather than teaching soldiers to not you know, perform those actions?
3: Yes, you're asking the age-old question, which is um, conflating risk reduction with rape prevention. Right, I think? And so this is where, instead of sitting a bunch of, like, it's, it's funny, instead of sitting a bunch of folks down and saying, all right, rapists, we're gonna teach you how not to rape and how not to sexually harass, which is how I think a lot of people anticipate that message is going to be delivered we have to talk about we have to talk about a culture that has made us see these behaviors as being acceptable. We have to talk about that and then we have to talk about how why they are unacceptable and what the impact is. Not just the human moral impact. I think we often forget about that. It is immoral to harm someone. It is immoral to prioritize your needs over the other person's safety. And that is what we're talking about when we talk about sexual violence. It's saying, I'm way more important than you, so what I want is more important than what you want. That is not acceptable in an army of equals. So you have to have that conversation. And we have to talk specifically about what those behaviors are and, as General Christian said, why those behaviors are harmful. And then we have to have zero tolerance. And that is at every level of the team. That's what you were talking about. If there's, right. you know, like, you know, sometimes like you had the parent that let you get away with stuff and then the parent was like, no. And so you're like, ah, I'm tactically going to the one parent that I like. You can't have the, you can't have goofy parent on your team. You have to even be like, yeah, you screwed up. I'm sorry you did, but let's talk about it. And then we have to talk about consequences for it. I don't need to be hateful, but I need to be 100% clear. Because yes, the responsibility for sexual harassment and assault is on the person who's doing it. And we shouldn't say, hey, sorry, some of you, it's an acceptable risk. You joined the armed forces to potentially die for your country, and there's a big risk of, of being raped. So just, just be careful that's on you. I don't think when you say it that way, anyone would support that.
1: No, I, I don't see that happening.
3: No, I don't. I don't at all.
1: And
0: then for Ms. Hall, Um, Just to follow up with that same question, but adding to is how do we, you know, influence a culture of change, Um, you know, because we can talk all day, but how do we actually take action to actually change the culture of, you know, telling people what not to do, but influencing the actions that soldiers actually do?
2: So I, so I think um, uh, General Christian, I agree with him that it's a team effort, and I also agree with uh, Dr. Stern in that there has to be engaged leadership leading that team and setting the an example for that team. And then we also have to rely on the the power dynamics that are in every, every organization, whether that be that E1 who happens to be the driver for the colonel who has some reverent power because of their association with the leader of that organization. And we use those individual, not use, but we 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 we, we employ those individuals to send out messages at as well. Um, I agree it's about messaging and it can't be the It's April. This we're in April. It can't be because it's April. We're talking about it, and we're talking about prevention and action, sexual assault actions that uh, decrease our numbers and eliminate sexual assault. But we need to be talking about it January through December, and we need to be talking about it in every every opportunity that we have, and not after the event has happened and we see the degrading in our our unit cohesion because now sexual assault in, an, in, a, in a unit will degrade, will will polarize the unit. Some are gonna take the victim side, some are gonna take the the uh, perpetrator's side. And we have to avoid that by having the conversations and we send the right message that it's not acceptable and we need to talk about it and we need to have those hard discussions. And it's every member on the team being led by a leader who says, this is not, not, in my, not in my army, not in my squad. This
1: is not who we are. Yeah, I want to take a shot at that, uh, maybe a little bit different perspective. So good or bad, I've been fortunate to command at multiple levels in, in the army, right? So I've been a platoon leader all the way up through a division commander, and, and now I'm the DCOS. Uh, and I learned a few things along that journey, right? I thought as a company commander, the answer was don't do this, don't do this, and you know, these are the things I don't want you to do. Uh, and, and for the purpose and time, that was probably an effective message. Uh, when I became a assistant division commander, division commander, my approach changed significantly. Rather than tell the soldiers what I didn't want in terms of a culture, I told them the culture I did want, what I was expecting them uh, to do to bring the total team, you know, to, to the fight, if you will. So, as a division commander, I was challenged with a couple things. I had. Uh, 28 states of 13,000 soldiers, so big geographical spread. So my first challenge became, how do I reach out to soldiers from Maine to Florida all the way into Texas? Because like I said earlier, I can't get there everywhere, right? So a couple of ways I did that, it was really bringing in the command teams, and then when I did my battlefield circulations, I pulled the teams together, the companies, the squads, and I talked more about the culture I wanted, not the culture I didn't want. And I felt, at least for where I was at that time in space, that gave someone a goal, an objective. They knew where I was coming from. They knew that I wanted a cohesive team, rather than say, I don't want a team that conducts sexual assault and sexual harassment. To get here, you needed to have these knowledge, skills, and aptitudes, but more importantly, the behaviors. right? And I put that on from the first private that I ran into to the last colonel I hit on every single one of those. I can't say it was perfect. I can say that I think it had an impact, but I got the organization understanding this was where we needed to go as an organization. So that was a little bit different approach. Doctor, I don't know if you think that that's a beneficial way to do it versus the other, but that's the approach I took.
3: I love it so much because what you talked about was behaviors. We're not, so sometimes when we say someone is a rapist, if they have done something, that word has this chilling effect. I mean, it may be technically true, but people can't fathom themselves as being that word. But you broke it down. These discrete behaviors are unacceptable. And so it's not about who you are, it's about what you do. And I'm gonna hold you accountable for what you do. And we're gonna be unambiguously clear. And I'm gonna say this behavior is bad because of this. I think that's genius. I think that's what, and also you had, I think aspiring to be better is powerful. We were joking before about how you said you had like a workout coach that would tease you about being weak if you couldn't do something or lift something. And I was like, why not change that and say, you can be stronger? Like, why not do that? We just get really, we don't even think about it anymore, right? But why don't we say, you can be this? YOU WILL NOT LOSE ANYTHING BY AIMING HIGHER. AND SO, NO, I LOVE YOUR APPROACH. I THINK IT'S AWESOME.
1: THANKS.
0: AND JUST OUT TO YOU, MS. HALL, I KNOW WE'RE TALKING ABOUT APPROACHES, AND you know, I KNOW SOMETIMES WE HAVE TO TAKE A DIRECT APPROACH AT THESE THINGS. I, I WANT TO KIND OF REACH OUT TO YOU and, AND KNOW WHAT ARE SOME OF THE TYPES OF MYTHS THAT YOU DEAL WITH AT TRADOC THAT RELATES TO SEXUAL HARASSMENT AND SEXUAL ASSAULT THAT KIND OF HOLD US BACK FROM GETTING WHERE WE NEED TO BE. AND I'M ALSO CURIOUS, do some of those myths kind of transcend to where you work at or how you work from the outside and, and what you see?
2: Wow, that's a great question. Um, and, and over my professional experience, those rape myths have perpetuated um, significant damage to organizations. And and some of the biggest ones, there are many, um, is that this is a female issue that um, Sexual violence, uh, and and Dr. Stern alluded to it earlier when she gave the example of the the young man that was waking up being sexually assaulted and was afraid to share his story because he would have, you know, it would have demasculated him. He wouldn't have been cool. So there's a, it's a it, male male victimization is real in the army, and because we have more men serving, we know we have more men that are victims of this but they do not come forward for a variety of reasons so that's one of the myths the uh, another myth is um, that I find that when you have a an individual that may be promiscuous that they're actually asking to be sexually assaulted because this is this is who they are that they enjoy it and and if they say no pretty much they can't say no because they have been Sharing themselves with a variety of people, so now they don't have the option to say, "No, I don't want this from you." Um, so those are some of the biggest ones that we see. in and in, in, in off it's a little bit different because, when, in, at least with our IET population, they don't have the freedom of movement, so there's more restriction. But it's that 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 um, they come in with the mentality of the the slack on the behind is okay because this is this is what we did when I was in high school and that's okay and that's not gonna offend anyone and or the fact that if I'm sharing uh, stories about my sexual ac- accolades or, or quest if you will over the weekend and everybody that I'm sharing with in the in the audience is uh, a male they're all males that no one's gonna be offended because this is what we do these are the conversations that we have so there are several that we are we we, we find challenging to our prevention efforts because once they they as long as they're perpetuated, then we can't make the strides that we can't that we need to to prevent these types of uh, harmful behaviors from occurring. Dr. Stein?
3: Yeah, if I could what's also what you just said too, what's interesting is when we see People who are displaying, let's say, impulsive or unwise sexual behaviors with multiple partners, that's often a sign that they are a survivor of child sexual abuse or sexual violence. That's actually, and so you could be watching a survivor with an unhealthy coping mechanism, and that makes them more vulnerable, obviously, to someone wishing to do harm to them. And so one of the things that a leader can do is to make sure that the subordinates know where good counseling and mental health services are. We know that a high percentage of the population, um, a higher pop, higher percentage of those who join the military um, have experienced child physical abuse and child sexual abuse as compared to the general population. We know that is a risk factor for both being a victim and being a perpetrator. And so, which is, I think important to note. And so the rape myths that Mrs. Hall was referencing, they kind of cover that up, right? They paper that up and they say, oh, that person's promiscuous, oh, that person drinks a lot, oh, that person's a bad soldier. That that is the problem as opposed to the cry for help, that that person could really, really use mental health services. And to your first point, Mrs. Hall, Sad but true, there's still a gender binary in which are men allowed to seek mental health services? Are men allowed to talk about feelings? I know this is 2022, it should not be a thing. And it isn't a thing everywhere, but if it's tied to masculinity and being super strong, you're not gonna talk about feelings. And if rape is always discussed as a he said, she said, which is a gender binary, then male victims aren't gonna see themselves in that. They're not, going, and they're not going to say, well, I guess, I mean, what happened to me must have been different. It couldn't have been that. Also, if you have pervading gender bias that um, women are weak and men are strong, and you watch how women are blamed for their rape and how their rapes are joked about all the time and how you've been making these rape jokes, why would you ever go forward and get the help you need? I mean, it's, I, I often tell people if we solve the problem, of how female identified victims of rape are treated. You may solve the problem or make a lot of headway at least with how male victims of rape are treated because they're watching and what they're seeing is not an invitation to get support or accountability. That has to change.
2: That's an excellent point, Dr. Starr, an excellent point, I totally agree.
3: I figure you and I were vibing. Yes,
2: ma'am.
0: So, kind of, I want to kind of solicit some advice from the outside, from you, ma'am. You know, how do we, because, you know, I think everyone at this table and um, remotely are over the age of 18.
2: Only this much.
0: Maybe about a little bit. So, how do we, you know, how do we go through those generations and those echelons that we need to in the military and kind of, you know, reach out to that younger generation that some of the senior leaders may be out of touch with? How do we bridge that gap, man?
3: I think you look for good educators that are not much older than the population that you're going to be teaching because you want to be able to speak that language. Uh, When we used to do Sex Signals, um, I'm embarrassed. The, The characters in Sex Signals were in their early 20s. I played that character until my late 30s, and it was not plausible, it was ridiculous, and I was not a successful educator because these students would say stuff, and I'm like, I have no idea what that slang means. And any time I looked stunned or like a deer in the headlights or like, what is that? I lost credibility, and I lost my connection with them. And so, that's why we have really well-trained educators that are younger that they can speak the language, but also have the expertise. So I think developmentally, you want to have curriculum that is developmental for how old your students are, but you also want an educator that is fearless, not afraid to hear the responses that they're going to give, because they're going to push you, because they want to see if they can shock you, and I love being unshockable. Um, There will be some educators, that it doesn't matter how old they are, where they can work with a range of people and that's just their gift and that's just their talent, but that's not everybody. I would say training the best educator core that really understands their audience and how to facilitate dialogue, to ask really good questions, which requires not only strong facilitation skills, but fantastic content knowledge because you're not gonna be reading off a slide. It means you're gonna be able to have to access what is relevant in that moment and say, okay, I think I hear you say this. Can I challenge you on that? Have you ever thought of it another way? And that way your curriculum isn't aligned to how old they are and your teacher is prepared to deal with that population. Because I will say the same teaching tactics I used with college kids, I did not use when I was training um, the National Guard. It's a different skill skill. set.
2: Um, yeah. I'm sorry,
1: go ahead, sir. I want to pull uh, that was... thread a little bit if I could, right? So, um, acknowledging that there's a curriculum, if you will, a classroom component to this, if I could kind of put it that way, mm-hmm. right? But how do we maintain a continuum outside the classroom, right? So, you, I go to the classroom, I talk to, well, my generation, whatever that language would be, which is different than my 18-year-old,
3: sure.
1: right? Or my 25-year-old, 26-year-old specialist but he's gonna come out of the classroom, he or she's gonna come out of the classroom and they're gonna put the uniform on, they're gonna be in the field, they're gonna be wherever they're gonna be and they're gonna have a squad leader probably maybe a little bit older, not much, right? And a platoon sergeant, probably a little bit older. How do we maintain the continuum outside the classroom?
3: Those, great question. Those folks um, also need to receive the same training that the younger folks did. We actually did this when we were doing sex signals as part of basic training where we realized that we needed to train the, not only the drill sergeants, but also the sergeants that were working with that population to make sure they had the language to reinforce those messages in ways that were army consistent, because inadvertently they could undermine it. It's kind of like when you're a new police officer and you have a field training officer. When I worked with Chicago PD ages ago, I was told that the very first thing your field training officer says to you is forget everything you learned in the academy, which we can't afford to have happen here. And so that, those NCOs need to be schooled on the exact same content that the younger folks are so they, and told that they will be held accountable for reinforcing that. Because um, you don't want to have your, all that great hard work just dissolve because someone's saying, oh my God, you had that message? Oh, I hate that class, that class is so bogus. A, we make the classes better, so the person can say, actually that class was really interesting, but also we've got to make sure that every sergeant, every NCO is like, that is an important class and that is what it means to be in today's army.
1: Yeah, and I think, and so you touched this a little bit earlier, the broader point uh, that you had highlighted was, uh, if the messaging is different, right? So we have in a classroom, hey, we're gonna teach you about X's and O's, uh, you come out, well, forget everything you just learned. If that messaging is not consistent, and correct me if I misunderstood what you said earlier, then the credibility and the genuineness of what we're trying to get to after prevention, it's just not not effective.
3: That's exactly it.
1: Hmm. Simone, I know you wanted to ask a question or have a comment.
3: Oh, no, I was going to
2: say that when we were talking, when, when Dr. Stern was talking about the relatableness of the trainer to the, to the, um, to the audience, um, that was also a finding in the Fort Hood independent report, um, that came out as a result of the tragic death of Asbestos Gian was that our training wasn't relatable to that, to a segment of our population. And it goes back to ensuring that it crosses the generational gaps and that we have we're talking the language. That's, I, that's, that's the only thing I wanted to add to that comment.
3: I think it's so important. If you don't feel like you had an authentic experience, if you don't. Silly but funny example from a million years ago. Uh, early on in Sex Signals, my partner and I had to uh, deliver training for a fraternity, which I will tell you is one of my least favorite food groups of people to train. That's my bias. So we get up there, we're like 30 at the time, and they're obviously like 18, 19, 20, but we do our bit, they love it, it's great, and I'm walking out of there thinking, I can't believe I got away with that, when two young men come up to me and they say, ma'am, I just wanna tell you that was, that was the best training on that we've ever had, and I was like, oh, thank you, and they're like, because last time, last time they brought in a feminist, and it sucked. And I was like, oh gosh, I hate to break it to you, I'm a feminist, and he looked like, I mean, I was Darth Vader. He was just like, like everything, just the, the sphincter shrunk. He was, and his buddy was like, no, what he's trying to say. I'm like, no, 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 I get it. It sounds like you had a bad teacher. But you should know that my beliefs about equality are the same, but I'm really glad you liked it. And I left that, that presentation with this thought in my head of, that's what we're trying to do. You shouldn't see any of the politics. You shouldn't feel any of the politics. You should just get the principles. You should just get these principles in a way that you can hear it. The other thing, scientifically, it's not just, in addition to what Mrs. Hall was saying, um, we know that when people enjoy an experience, they get endorphins. Endorphins help associate something positive with the content that you've received it also means if the if the experience will be remembered in a very different way as opposed to chucked out of there the power of a good instructor to get you to think not hate yourself and retain that content because it was interesting and innovative that's really the kind of power that we need to have they shouldn't be like oh my god here goes here come the feminists like we're doomed we don't want that we want this is going to be a chance to really dig in and have an important conversation that matters to me, my buddies, and for the Army.
0: Man, I appreciate, uh, go ahead.
2: um, so we talked about earlier some of the initiatives, and one of the initiatives that we've done in our training is just that Dr. Cern in the panel, and um, we've gotten away. We used to do PowerPoint presentations, 52-plus slides uh-huh. about the why did you do that or don't do that, and we've gotten away from that. And now there we, we we are facilitating our training with no slides, and we're having those difficult discussions and it does go back to that facilitator being engaging and relatable but we're seeing a lot we're seeing a lot more behavioral modification uh, changes um than, than we have in the past so it's really it's really important um who's delivering how they're delivering and how relatable that person is when they're delivering
3: absolutely that's fantastic
0: Dr. Stern, just want to, before we conclude, um, just want to make sure we take a good question from the audience. And it's, it's leaning on you and leaning on your experience and leaning on, you know, what you see from the outside. And uh, a question from Facebook. They want to know is, from your experience, what is the biggest obstacle that the military must overcome in the prevention of sexual harassment and sexual assault? man? Nice
3: to end with a whopper. Um. <laughs> I think there's more than one. I would say one is the size. It is an enormous institution, obviously. It is, the Army alone is what, the biggest institution on the planet, practically? So, moving an institution that large, which is so decentralized, which depends on decentralization to get stuff done, Mm -hmm. that is an enormous challenge to affect consistency across the board um, I think that's an obstacle. I think that female-identified folks are still in the minority in leadership positions is still a significant problem. Um, it's, and it's something that I think is achievable, but as long as you have predominantly or almost exclusively male leaders they may bring in a culture that is not as inclusive of female perspectives. And so I'm not saying that parity must be achieved, but if we don't have representation for female soldiers and male soldiers to see on the regular, it makes it harder to make the argument that male and female soldiers are equally valued if they're not present as often. Um, And I would say there's a tension that the military has that the civilians don't, which is, We have to construct curriculum that actually advocates for kindness and perspective taking and for putting someone else um, ahead of you outside of self and maintain lethality. And those two things can seem really opposite to someone. It's sort of like with the football player who's supposed to be the one charging, it's I want you to hit as hard as you possibly can and then worry or, or wonder why they take that kind of behavior off the field. So we have to kind of balance the mission of the military with the fact that we don't treat our own the way that we would treat an opponent, that we are allies, never opponents, regardless of how we identify by gender. And I think that's a sophisticated conversation, but I am confident that once the military puts their mind to it, that we can get there. It's a long road, but I think that's the road you're already on.
0: Ma'am, thank you for that closing point. And uh, as we conclude, just want to know, sir, is there anything you want to leave the audience with?
1: No, I think actually it's been a pretty healthy conversation. We've covered a whole broad range of topics. I would just leave you with this. I think at the end of the day, it's a team sport. I think uh, it's up to leaders to be genuine, have honest and hard conversations. Some conversations are harder than others, for sure. Uh, But if we don't participate, uh, then we can't expect a change to occur.
0: Sir, Dr. Stern, Ms. Hall, thank you for the great discussion. I'm sure the audience got something out of it. Um, We wanna invite you to the next leadership professional development discussion on May 31st. It's going to be with General Funk and the defensive coordinator for the Dallas Cowboys at the same time, at the same place, Thank you for joining us today, and remember, victory starts here.
2: Thank you.